Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Write this down. Write it down. You like writing things down. Write that down. Write that down. I, I don't have a pencil. Well, remember that. Dan. Give us those poll results that you were just giving me off the air. Zud Jilgad. Yes, I will. So the question <laughs> the question was... We'll at, make predictions in a second. At the halfway point, what, what are you most curious about for the last half of the Vikings season? And the three choices you have are John Filippo's play calling getting better, Kirk Cousins curbing the fumbling issue, or the defense returning to the 2017 form. And right now, it's not even close. The defense returning to 2017 form, 61%. Cousins fumbling mm. issue, 22%. And Flip's play calling, 17%. All right. Uh, the play, actually, the, uh, we pre recorded Sage Rosenfels today, and we did a deep dive into Kirk Cousins and play calling and things like that for uh, the football hour at 515. But, gentlemen, write that down. I, I don't have a pencil. Well, remember that, Dan. Write this down. It's time for some accountability session here. It's our staple segment on Fridays, and uh, we mostly make ourselves look like idiots by pulling back the curtain on our batting averages for our predictions. You've been in a downward spiral here for about two months, Judd. Got to oh, be yeah. honest with you. Yeah, I should be sent to a small. I, I should be sent to Rochester, <laughs> Waconia, perhaps. I definitely should not be here right now. Uh, I should be working on on my, on Buxton Lake or send me home. Actually, uh, well. Hubbard has some small stations up in northern Minnesota. I go write like things Alexandria, down there. <laughs> Brainerd. The Brainerd Golden Knights will win the Northwoods League title. Let's start off there. Write this down. Uh, so, so Judd, let's let's start with you here. You predicted <laughs> that Brian Dozier would be the MVP of the NLCS. No that, comment. That wasn't a recent prediction because, in fairness, you made that when his. When he was just traded for the first time, we didn't really know the extent of his knee injury. And I think he had two home runs in like his first two games or something. Still, it's awful. Yeah, he in it's the still in the first game he had no. Did he? No, it was he the first a, two games. Yep. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yep. Uh, you said the Twins' new manager would be Jace Tinger. Tinger. Tin. Ting. <laughs> Not gonna work here. <laughs> nope. Uh, listen to Jonathan back there cackling at Judd's predictions. <laughs> he should be. It's awful. Uh, Red Sox will win the World Series over the Brewers. <laughs> You got the first half of that right, but it's a parlay. <laughs> got to get them both right. And you said uh, correctly, Anthony Tolliver would have at least five three-point attempts against the Cleveland Cavaliers a couple weeks ago. Yeah! That was after he took only one shot in 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. So he did bounce back, and he and he chucked. Manny, you said the Brewers would win the NL pennant. 
Yeah, that was a big lift. Uh, I'm just about close to being DFA'd right now because I don't even have a hit you yet. You don't. I don't think. It's been two months, dude. <laughs> I know. Join the club. You, we need you to square around three different times. We're, we're <laughs> shifting you to the right side of the infield. There's no third baseman today. Just drop a bunt down, dude. I'm I'm Sano and you're Buxton. That's how this is working out so far. I'm like, I don't know. I'm I'm like. I don't know. I, I'm drawing a blank on who I could even be right now. It's it's just not good. It's not pretty. Right well, now. you're. Uh, I think you're. You're pretty much the Dodgers lineup against Red Sox pitching from the World Series. Um, I said fans will vote Love Boat as the Minnesota dysfunctional moment bracket champion. They even make it to the finals. How does Love Boat not make it to the finals? What's wrong with you? People? I was going to say if, if you had gotten that hell? right, I was thinking single. Right. Because I thought too. for sure it was going to win. Yeah, I, w- I would. I mean, I could have fought you on a double, maybe, but tonight it's incorrect. I thought single. Uh, yep. I said the Red Sox would win the World Series in six games exactly. It's five games, and that the, I said this is what this was a hedge. Uh, the Red Sox prediction was a hedge from this prediction earlier in the year, which was the Dodgers will win the World Series and Dozier will hit two bombs in the World Series. <laughs> he drew a walk, maybe two. <laughs> Uh, listeners, one prediction came off the board. Brian predicted the Gophers would not cover the five-point spread against Nebraska. And uh, yeah. that was true. They Wait. Yeah. No, that was true. They, yeah, they did. I did. Yeah, they, they, lost, did. they, did they not, lost the game entirely. They got smoked. Yes, yeah, they lost correct. the game entirely. It so, was easy. Yes. So where we're at right now with batting averages here, I'm leading all of you, and I'm only hitting 258. Oh! With a 458 slugging percentage. What a what a murderous row of a lineup we have right now. It's embarrassing. Jonathan, <laughs> quit laughing like that. Not nice. He's uh, cackling. Judd is at 236 with a 431 slugging percentage. Uh, Manny has not registered a hit yet, yep. so he has a zero batting average and the zero slugging percentage. Yeah, it's ugly. Uh, listeners are at 227 and slugging 439, and the guests are batting 231 and slugging. Six twenty-five. So guess when the guests do hit on a prediction, they come in and they and they swing. Write it down. You like writing things down. Welcome to the two thousand seventeen or eighteen Baltimore Orioles. That's basically what we are right now. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Bunch of bunch of Chris Davises out here taking their hats. Feeble. <laughs> Let's start with Judd. Write this down. Write it down. You like writing things down. Speaking of feeble, the Gophers will make a change at defensive coordinator after this season, meaning Rob Smith will be dismissed. So the Gophers are going to, PJ is going to look at the fact that he is a good offensive coach and this offense is on the right track and he's going to look at the scheme that's being played defensively by his team and realize that to achieve the ultimate success that he wants to in 2019, he needs a better defense. Dumb question. Did he bring that guy over from Western Michigan? No, Arkansas. So just a total, they, like they knew each other Correct. or something? Correct. Uh, okay. Rutgers under Greg Schiano, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Write this down. Write it down. You like writing things down. Manny. The 2019 National Basketball Association Most Valuable Player will be Giannis Antetokounmpo. I see what you're doing now. You're just trying to push predictions out beyond 2018 yeah. so you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> a good move. Way to go. I've done the same thing myself yeah, yeah. a lot. No, pull a Judd and, and push predictions into 2028. When you're no chance of being here. You have zero chance of it being held accountable against you. Write it down. You like writing things down. So, oh, so the 2019 NBA MVP will be uh, Greek Freak. I'm not even going to attempt. I'm just going to say Greek Freak. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Okay, I'm not going to attempt to spell that. <laughs> 
Uh, all right, write this down. I'm going to go for a nice little easy one to maintain my batting average lead because I think this is going to happen. They have money to spend. The Twins will spend, write this down, at least $10 million per year on a position player this offseason. Okay. I think they're going to look at their lineup and say, oh, man. Care to, yeah, first care to give us a name? For a home Not, run? Mm, you give us a name, it's a home run. Uh, I'm going to give you, I'll give you names next week. Okay. I'll give you names next week. Because I don't think it's, I don't think they're going to bring Dozier back, so they're going to go after a middle infielder of some kind. Write this down. Write it down. You like writing things down. Give you some names next week. All right, back to Judd. I've seen enough to make this long-term prediction. John Gruden will not be the Raiders coach after 2019. Whoa. So he's going to get, what? So he's going to get this year. He's got a 10-year contract, so I don't think that you can blow him out after 2018. But I think after it's a disaster in 2019, they're going to have no choice but to realize they made a massive mistake and John Gruden will have to be paid off to go away but that as means the Raiders that, coach. That means if they fi- they're looking at like a Bobby Bonilla type situation if they fire him, man. They're going to be paying him for like 25 um, years. Unless they can work a deal with ESPN that allows some some of the money they owe him to be deferred to the network to pay him to come back. Because you know what? You could make a compelling case that everything should get should get a reset there. Put him back on Monday Night Football, which is just not good. Get Oakland a new coach. Everybody can do a redo, and we'd all be much happier. But anyway, 19, 2019. That's a lot of money. Write it do. down. You like writing things down. Write this down. It's a hot mess. All right, back to Manny. All right, so the Browns fired Hugh Jackson earlier this week. The next head coach of the Cleveland Browns, and I'm really swinging for the fences here, but the next head coach of the Cleveland Browns will be Mike McCarthy. What? Whoa! Oh, yeah. You know, I I actually read that somewhere this week too that it was reported that he might he's going to get he's fired gonna from the Packers, yeah. and the Browns are going to hire him to be the next their next head coach. Boy, write, write he, that down. And he takes that job. You guys think, huh? I think he would. I don't know. Interesting. Write it down. You like writing things down. Write that down. I don't have a pencil. Well, remember that. Then. Uh, remind me, the Vikings do have five division games remaining, right? Two against the Lions, two against the Bears, and one then against one against the Packers. The Packers. Yep. Mm-hmm. Write this down. The Vikings will go 4-1 and one in the division the rest of the way. They will only lose one division game the rest of the way. They will go 4-1 and one in those games, which means they would only need one against maybe the Dolphins or if they could steal one from the Patriots or the Seahawks, that would put them in a really good spot to win the divisions. I'm going to say they go 4-1 and one against the Packers, Bears, and Lions the rest of the way. Write it down. Write this down. Write it down. You like writing things down. Vikings homer here. My final write that down will be, will be an answer to what Manny Hill just gave, but a different name. The Browns' next head coach will be Lincoln Riley. Okay. Oh. Offensive mind, Oklahoma, Baker Mayfield's Baker Mayfield. guy. It all makes too much sense. Lincoln Riley will get a massive amount of cash and probably a long-term contract. But to write that down is he will be the Browns' next head coach. Write it down. You like writing things down. Write this down. You know what? I'm going to pull a move that our former producer used to pull and say, write this down. The next head coach of the Cleveland Browns (laughs) will not be Lincoln Riley, nor will it be Mike McCarthy. End of prediction. <laughs> right, Thanks for squaring around there. <laughs> that's right. You guys flail away at the plate, and I'll just rack up fun singles. All right. I'm going to defer to Jonathan here because he he has a, a write-that-down prediction, and then I'll do mine. 
So okay. Manny talked about Mike McCarthy having a new job. Mine kind of plays off that. Mike McCarthy will be fired at the end of the season. They'll clear house in Green Bay. And there's a current quarterback coach in New Orleans who has a link to the Green Bay Packers. I'm not predicting he's going to be their head coach, but Joe Lombardi will be the next Packers offensive coordinator. Wow. Okay. So Because so Drew Brees a- is having a career year for him, even for Drew Brees. I'm predicting he's their next offensive coordinator. So it'll be an offensive so it's a coordinator parlay. where his grandfather coached. Yep. Huh? Okay. okay. So it's a parlay. Uh, McCarthy has to be fired and Joe yep. Lombardi, the next Packers offensive coordinator. Okay. Yes. I think I cut in front of Manny there, right? So now Manny makes his final prediction. Uh, the Write Minis- this down. The Minnesota Wild will make the playoffs and they will win a playoff series. Oh, some wild optimism on the show. How the many, first time t- in five how many years. times have I told you not to smoke dope before the show begins? <laughs> I mean, it's the only rule I gave you. When you join the show, don't smoke reefer before. Make it after 6 p.m. I was swinging for the fences. My batting average is already bad. I might as well just try and get the slugging percentage up a little bit. <laughs> swinging for the fences here, Judd. Oh, man. Uh, you, know, right you know, swinging for the fences. By the way, Zach Harper on Wolves and NBA in like 15 or 20 minutes. Sage Rosenfels and Matthew Collar in the 5 o'clock hour. Swinging for the fences is not necessarily one of the financial tips that you're going to get for from Dale Tondrick. Unless it's, you know, unless you feel good about where you're at with long-term planning. But uh, I'm going to guess that he he's not going to advise swinging for the fences in our Friday financial playbook this week. Mackie and Judd now continue. Well, here we are again. Yeah. On 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check on your traffic here. 94 eastbound in St. Paul. We've got a crash uh, between 35E and 12th Street. That's causing a six-minute delay. And 394 eastbound in uh, near Minneapolis. We've got a crash between Lake Street and Penn Avenue. That's uh, an extra three minutes, minutes on your trip there, gentlemen. Rose out of the corner, and it's a new career high for Derrick Rose. A lot of hard work uh, put into my craft, and um, it's all about rhythm. Like I said a couple of days ago, it's all about finding my one-two into my shots. Like he's been through so much, and he deserves the world, you know. And just who he is as a person speaks more just than who he is as a basketball player. You know, he's someone truly special, and we're very. I, I said the same thing. I'm, I'm going to go home. Uh, I'm going to go to my house. I'm going to grab my rosary, go to the church, and thank God again that he's uh, here as a term. I can't get over that quote from Carl Anthony Towns and how much he clearly loves Derrick Rose, mm-hmm. but has never said anything remotely the same about Jimmy Butler, who's back tonight, according to uh, people oh, at shoot around. Don't say. So he the, will play the pick tonight. and choose schedule. It is. I, I play against Golden State too. That'd be fun. Houston, fun. Yeah. Lakers, fun. Yes. Not so much. What was the other game he sat out? Another boring game. Dallas. Dallas. Yeah. Dallas game Dallas. on a Saturday. Yeah, not so much. Yeah. yeah, rebuilding Dallas team. No, you don't want to play that game. Um, <laughs> have you guys also noticed, too, someone, uh, hat tip to one of our Twitter followers, actually sent us a link to a, a Reddit thread about this particular player, NBA slash Wolves Reddit thread. You guys see who's averaging in only 27 minutes a game, played nine games so far, 16 points, six rebounds, Three assists, a couple steals, and shooting 55% from three point range this season? It's belly, isn't it? Belly. Are you Okay. For the Kings. I'll stop you right there. Are you surprised? A little, but it's more. I'm a little surprised, but not terribly surprised because 
I love Dave Yeager as a head coach. Mm-hmm. And when the Wolves decided to move on from Sam Mitchell, Dave Yeager was like number one on my list in terms of guys that I now he hadn't gotten fired from Memphis yet when they hired Tibbs, but Dave Yeager was like number one on my list. Yeah, I mean, it's not to answer your question, it's it's not shocking that we we watched him play with the Timberwolves. I think what I'm getting at here is it's an indictment on Tom Thibodeau. Of course. Yep. Yeah, you you got a guy who his his main well, he's got two really, really plus skill sets, shooting three pointers, and as a guy who what is he, like six ten? Belly's a big dude. And Belly in Europe was a ball handler too. He's a guy that could go from the top of the key to the rim. He could you know, he's not LeBron James in terms of mobility and getting to the rim, but he's got these different, he's got kind of point guardy skill sets for a big man, and he can shoot threes. And he just looked like such a deer in the headlights with the Timberwolves. And this is a classic symptom of players that aren't Jimmy Butler or Derrick Rose in the Tom Thibodeau. If you weren't an original Chicago Bull Tom Thibodeau guy, right? you look a little deer in the headlights-y. Carl Anthony Towns, Nemanja Bialica. What was the game last year where I think Butler was hurt or he was sick and he couldn't play, and, and it was at home, and Belly was very much empowered in that game. And he looked, I think it might have been against the Lakers, maybe? He looked fantastic. And I said to myself, holy cow, this guy looks. And then, either late in that game or the next game, Tibbs started to bellow, yell at Belly. And he, you could see him just shrink. Mm-hmm. You could see him just, he, he completely lost it. And so you said to yourself, okay, the skill's there. Most coaches in this day and age would then say to themselves, how do I get that again and again and again? Yeah. And Tib says to himself, well, this is my coaching style. So yeah. I, don't, I, don't care, I don't care that I just lost you. Yeah, and, and so just to compare, what did, what did Belly do in Minnesota versus here? So far, it's nine games with the Kings, and he might regress. Let's, let's not take it as gospel, but uh, it's, it, he's taking more threes. He's taking twice as many shots per game. <laughs> now he's playing six more minutes per game. So, but not you know he played twenty one minutes a game with the Timberwolves last year. He's playing twenty seven with the Kings, but he's he's doubled his shot attempts because you got a coach who says, well, two things. You got a coach who says, hey, when you're out there, you pull the trigger because mm-hmm. you can knock down shots from anywhere. So you pull the trigger. And then the second thing is the Kings don't have nine guys that need to dribble the air out of the ball every single possession, which is what the Wolves sort of have. And even like Carl Anthony Towns needs touches. He's not a dribble the air out of the ball type of a guy. But you watch what he's doing, Belly in Sacramento. You watch what Zach Levine's doing in Chicago right now with the Bulls. And some of that's just him getting into a different situation and it's a rebuilding team. But that dude's averaging like 30 points a game and he's shooting lights out from three-point range. And you see Andrew Wiggins flatline, if not regress. Carl Anthony Towns kind of flatline, if not regress a little bit in some ways, look lifeless. It's really hard to watch this stuff happen. I mean, we kind of knew, man, Belly, they're only really using about 50% of his capabilities, right? And here he is in Sacramento, maxing out what you thought he should have been for three years with the Timberwolves. When you have a favorite player that that desperately wants to leave you, if you're a fan of, of this team or you own this team, you know exactly how bad things are. Because, you know what? If Jimmy Butler said, I like it here. I like Tibbs. I like... We would all say to ourselves, well, Tibbs is sort of a dysfunctional guy, and this isn't great. But you know what? That's his guy. And and he's a all-star player, veteran player. If he could lead at all, which he can't, you would say, all right, I don't know that you're getting to this the exact right way, but at least you're making progress. At least there's a plan here. And that plan probably looks like for the long term, it will include the playoffs. But when you look around and all you see 
is chaos. That's all you see. Players who have left are successful, including some who you couldn't develop. Your star player hates it here, and your next star player is miserable. Yeah. All what, you see is chaos. What are the three best things we can say about Tom Thibodeau's two-plus years here? Playoff birth. Well, yeah. let's... Playoff so like birth. What? Not, not in terms of results. Let's, <laughs> what, I, what I'm going for is like his three best attributes, or okay. the, three, the three best things that he... Okay, rest- so yeah, so bringing Jimmy Butler in would be one, and that led to playoffs. Steakhouses are doing well. <laughs> <laughs> Manny's, Murray's very happy. I, I don't know. Aside from... so, Or, or a, a different way to phrase this is... What are Tom? Th- what are the three most redeeming qualities about Tom Thibodeau? Number one, he was f- close with Jimmy Butler, okay. so he brought in Jimmy Butler, okay. and and Jimmy Butler bought in and had a great season when he was on the court and helped the Wolves become a playoff team. So that's one. For better or worse, I guess he's made the franchise relevant nationally. <laughs> For, for, better, well, for better or worse. <laughs> Partially because people are paying attention to him because of all that's wrong. I don't know. I'm really stretching. I mean, I'm really stretching for that, by the way. <laughs> I would like to say defense, but I can't. Like, ordinarily, with a coach well, like that was this, supposed to be number that was, one. that's his calling card. And, and you would say that they've definitely improved defensively and got a big buy in from the players, but they haven't. And statistically, they're not great. So the thing that we should be able to say we can't say. Teaching know, is not on the list. I wouldn't consider him a great teacher. That's where, when you hear these Stan Van, Stan Van Gundy is a huge yeah. Tibbs guy. He's a great teacher of defense. Well, a great teacher of defense wouldn't need three years to get out of the bottom five in net defensive rating. You'd be able to at least instill some of these principles, unless you just want to blame it all on the players, in which case I would say Tom Thibodeau, the executive, should do something about that. Well, right. if you think about if you think about the Bulls teams that he had and they were consistently every year he was there they were consistently in the top 10 I think in like defensive efficiency and and, and everything but if you look at those teams like okay he got there a lot of those guys were had already been in the league for for a couple of years and they were already kind of good defensively like Joe Kim Noah is a defensive minded player so it's it's easy to when you have him it's easy to be good defensively because he's just, you know, at that time, I mean, obviously not anymore, but at that time he was a really good defensive player. Yeah. And you had wing guys that like Ronnie Brewer and John Salmons and, and, you know, Kirk Heinrich and guys, those guys like were already pretty good defensive players. But if you get in a situation where you've got young players like an Andrew Wiggins or Zach Levine or Carl Anthony Towns who are just young and inexperienced and don't really understand defense yet, can you teach those guys and turn them into good defensive players? And so far, he hasn't been able to do that. Who's better? So since he got here, who's improved? Who has taken a step? Derrick Rose. <laughs> yeah. Derrick Derek Rose. That's the really sad response. But Cat definitely is not. Yeah. Uh, Cat's still a very good player, but he's definitely not taking a step because of Tom. I didn't have a chance to read the whole thing, but Britt Robson posted a piece today. Britt Robson from The Athletic that examines Derrick Rose beyond the Jimmy Butler era. And if if Derrick Rose has put himself in a spot with what he's shown this year and specifically what he showed in that 50-point game, is he now someone of interest beyond whenever Jimmy Butler gets traded or beyond this season? And I don't immediately say no to that. I don't. I, I've, I've moved off of the initial scoffing of, 
know, the concept of Derrick Rose, because, okay, he has clearly taken a step forward in what he can do on a basketball court this year. Doesn't mean that he's flawless. But I, I'm curious, when I flip on a Timberwolves game, I always want to see Carl Anthony Towns. I always want to see if Andrew Wiggins can stop shooting from 21 feet. Uh, I want to see if Jimmy Butler is going to rip someone's head off the top of their torso. <laughs> but I also am now, add to that list, interested in seeing Derrick Rose... Is is this the Derrick Rose of old? He certainly has prime years left if there's tread on the tires. So I, I kind of agree with that premise to some extent. I, I want to see more of it. I'm not just going to write it off. Do you think, though, that he has the right head coach to to get his present and, and future best from him? Oh, yeah. Tom Thibodeau. Uh, I think, yeah. But I think there's a Tom chance. Tom Thibodeau and Derrick Rose are a great match. But if Derrick Rose, if, if he shows signs of... Of the the progress that he definitely showed against the Jazz on Wednesday, I think Tibbs is going to play him so much. We're going to go right back to the problems. I think if he would play was was used absolutely correctly, there's a positive there. But I think Tibbs is like a, a Butler Rose junkie. He can't help himself. So now it becomes I got to play you more. I got to play. Oh look, Derek's back. Derek's back. So instead of being smart about it and spotting him and get, giving him the best chance at his age. And with his knees potentially to thrive, he's going to go back to Derrick Rose 2011, play him way too much, and drive him right into the ground or court in this case. And let's let's be honest here. Even before Wednesday night, he was already among the team leaders in shot attempts. So, like, he's already, I mean, Tibbs has already sort of taken this approach of, like, just give Derrick the ball and let Derrick do, let Derrick be Derrick. And it just so happened that Wednesday night he just, He'd end up taking 31 shots because they were down two starters, and he ended up having a good night shooting yeah. the ball. Yeah, the Chicago offense for a long time, well, not a long time, but for two or three years until Derrick Rose was incapacitated, was give the ball to Derrick Rose in the fourth quarter and all you other four guys get out of the way. And I don't know, I, if, if it turns into that, I don't like that because Carl Anthony Towns is a guy that you want, if, if we're talking about what you want to build for five or ten years, but... We'll see. We'll see if there's a middle ground there somewhere. Judge just laughing at this You're whole thing. trying notion. to put a happy face on something that's just a lost cause. It's probably true. Uh, well, we can throw, throw some of this stuff by Zach Harper, who uh, used to be, uh, he actually used to write about the Wolves for 1500ESPN.com, and now he's doing big things at The Athletic and uh, the Count the Dings podcast. Mackie and Judd, uh, we are, well, we're doing well. So we look at our Timberwolves as <laughs> They're not doing this, so like, well. Yeah. three-legged oh, dog no. sometimes. Timberwolves are fine, guys. Everything's great. <laughs> Everything is fine. Dog in a room with a room on fire uh, gift. Exactly. Um, but so we were, we, so if you're unfamiliar, which you, you're an idiot if you're unfamiliar with Zach Harper at Talk Hoops, but Zach started off as one of the best Wolves bloggers and has covered this team, and now he's a uh, national perspective. But we were putting together a list the other day of, 30 years of Wolves basketball. Yes, it's a weird era right now, and the Derrick Rose thing just kind of popped up out of nowhere. But if you're to rank Wolves moments just in the arena, you know, top 10 moments, it might be one of the most memorable things that's ever happened in Wolves history, the 50-point performance. Am I wrong on that? No, I mean, with, with the drama that's going on around the team, with the people missing, with the surprise of it, I mean, it's still not the most surprising one. Still the most surprising one to me ever is Corey Brewer. Uh, I was at that game. I remember that he got drug tested randomly after the game, which made us <laughs> wait like an hour because uh, he couldn't go to the bathroom. He like he was chugging water and couldn't go. And that and uh, I think that one happened against James Harden and the Rockets. And it was just a bizarre, you know, flurry of fast break layups and random corner threes that somehow went in. Uh, but in terms of surprise, like the Derrick Rose one was 
just out of nowhere because even though I think he's played, I mean, relative to ex- expectations going into this year, if you're if you're not expecting MVP Derrick Rose, I actually think he's been okay for them. I, I like the way he's attacking. Um, you know, his shots aren't always going in, but I, I think it's been a, a mostly positive presence. But you didn't expect anything like this ever out of him again. What's your view from afar on the complete chaos that this franchise, Zach, is once again experiencing? I mean, it's just what a mess. Like it's it's just it's it's kind of comical in a masochistic way in that, you know, two years ago it looks like, all right, Andrew Wiggins, Carl Anthony Towns, you know, Zach Levine, like, hey, they they beat the Warriors that one random night, right? And it's like, Oh my goodness, like maybe this you know, maybe four years from now this team is gonna be something. They ramp things up with Tom Thibodeau, with uh, you know, with bringing in Jimmy Butler, they make the playoffs last year. Although I don't know that anyone felt all that confident, even when they were the three seed before Butler went down. I don't know that anyone was like, "Oh yeah, this Wolves team has it figured out," because they were winning games in a way that wasn't all that pleasing in terms of just they didn't play any defense, right? And so they, but at least they were winning games. And then you come in, you know, a week before the season, and everything starts hitting the fan, and then the, the infamous practice, and and just everything that's gone on. I'm, I'm legitimately shocked that they've been so good the last two games because after that Milwaukee game, I really thought the wheels were off. So as a guy who has uh, certainly covered the sport for a long time and seen this team for a long time, did you first guess the Tibbs decision to, to give him uh, complete control of the operation as well as the head coaching job? Because I didn't, but uh, man, in retrospect now, making him president of basketball operations was about as bad of thing as you could possibly do because he has no clue in that role what he's doing. I actually think he's been better as a as an executive than he has as a as a coach. I mean, I, if you look at the moves he's making um, in terms of what's available, like he was aggressive that first summer. He went after Al Horford. He went after Courtney Lee. Like he tried to get better players. It's just it's hard to get people to Minnesota, and, and so then he went. When he couldn't get anybody from from that respect, he he went conservative. He decided to go with the young guys and see about getting Jimmy Butler the next summer. Um, and, and if you look at like Jeff Teague is a is a good player. I know not everyone loves him, but he's a he's a good player, and he's arguably the best free agent signing in in franchise history because the other ones are like Taj Gibson and Kevin Martin. Um, and and in, but it, <laughs> it, when you're talking, I mean, uh, yeah, what a, what a great list that was. That's a, this is an uplifting. And thing. and Anthony Tolliver twice, and, mind you. Well, yeah, and Anthony Tolliver a, a multitude of times. Um, <laughs> but if you if you you know just look at the idea of giving someone like what I like to call dual citizenship of the front office and the sideline, it's you know it's a tough decision. Like that is that is asking a lot out of someone. You have to have a very strong scouting department. You have to have a very strong front office. You have to have a very strong structure from the top on down so that those decisions become seamless. And, and while I think Tom Thibodeau gets scrutinized too much for what he's done as an executive, you also can't make the argument that any of this stuff has been seamless. So there, there's just too much chaos involved. Zach, how would you handle this Jimmy Butler thing going forward? Like, when is the time to make a move on this? I mean, obviously, he's not coming back after, you know, after this season. So how would you even handle this thing going forward? What would your approach be to, you know, in terms of making a trade and getting the best deal possible? Um, well, okay, so we're not – because. For me, I just like chaos, so I keep him around as long as possible. That's yeah. You, actually, <laughs> Judge, Judge Zolgad is standing. I'm up applauding, applauding you right now, Zach. I'm applauding you. But if we're trying to do what's best for the team, you know, I think I think especially with what's happening with Houston, I would be on the phone with them every day, saying, you know what? How about just three of those first round picks instead of four? And I want Eric Gordon. 
because I don't think you're going to get a better jo- a better deal than that. I wouldn't take the four first round picks and whatever's left of Brandon Knight's corpse and and the Nays make the the salaries match. Like I don't. While the first round picks are nice, I don't think that is a, a good enough value on return. I think the Miami stuff is probably done unless they start spiraling a little bit uh, because Pat Riley not really an, an amenable guy when it comes to that stuff, right? Um, and then anyone else, I just don't see where that pressure is from teams around the league to, to go get that guy when they think they, they'll have the cap space to get him in the summer. So I think you really have to put pressure on Houston after every single loss, after every missed Carmelo Anthony defensive rotation, after every missed game by either Chris Paul or James Harden. I'd be on the phone with them trying to say, look, you can get it done for three picks, and Eric Gordon, let's do it. Yeah. Zach Harper is our guest right now. You can find his writing at The Athletic, theathletic.com slash NBA. The NBA is so much fun right now. I mean, in addition to just all of the player speculation and the Warriors dynasty, I saw an ad last night. Adrian Wojnarowski is endorsing things, and like Rachel Rachel Nichols has become the Oprah Winfrey of the NBA, where she's just in people's living rooms and doing heart-to-heart interviews. What's your favorite thing about the NBA right now? I think it's the personalities. I mean, like, just the individual personalities in terms of, you look at, like, someone like Giannis, someone like Joel Embiid, someone like uh, like Anthony Davis, it, like, just all these individuals, all these personalities, all these guys who can just show out. Like, we've all, we've all resigned to the fact, like, hey, the Warriors are going to win the championship, right? Like, this team is way too good. But you look at just, like, the individual talent out there, like, we've never been in an era like this. We've never had skill level like this. We had, like, I know people love to you know waxed poetically about the 80s and the 90s and oh my god the basketball was so good back then you could clothesline people you could get in fights and not get in trouble oh that's great that's fantastic none of that stuff basketball though like go watch a game from the 90s it's atrocious basketball in comparison to the product on the floor today now i do wish that the defense wasn't so hard to play like everyone says people don't defend right now and it's not true people aren't allowed to defend right now there's a huge difference. This whole freedom of movement emphasis has really affected Soren, and it's not going away anytime soon. So teams are going to have to adjust to it, and we'll have to adjust our kind of standard of what is good and acceptable defense. But just the the entertainment value and the watchability of the league, I don't think it's ever been higher. Uh, hey, where, where are you at on Carl Anthony Towns right now? I, might, I guess my, I'll run my theory by you, and you tell me if I'm right or wrong here. I feel like... He's taking the brunt, whether it was during the the Rocket series and the TNT guys were hammering him, and now like Stan Van Gundy was hammering him here. And I, and and not that he goes blameless, but I feel like surroundings and culture and coach fit and teammate fit with Jimmy Butler, I think those all have to be factored in. If you put him with a Brad Stevens type, or even even a Mike D'Antoni type, someone who's a little bit more empowering, I almost feel like we look at him as this big, gentle beast of a player, and instead we look at him and think he's soft. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And, and here's the thing. So a lot of, a lot of Wolves fans have gotten mad at me, but I'm just relaying what I've heard from players, coaches, executives around the league. Like, going into this season, especially after the way this team didn't play defense last year and the first-round series, uh, there's a lot of, I'm not saying it's everybody. There are a lot of people who are still very high on Cat, but going into the season, a lot of people just think he's soft. They really do because he, because the defense is inconsistent. Now it looks it looks pretty solid right now. It looks improved. It's still not acceptable enough. I think his pick and roll defense is is struggling and inconsistent. But his, at least his rim protection, I think, is a lot better, and his, and his instincts are better right now. Um, but but a lot of people around the league think he's soft and aren't sure. Like remember, two years ago, he was the number one pick for executives around the league. If you were going to start your franchise, Carl Anthony Towns was the guy, and then he didn't get a single vote during this round of, of the GM survey. Yeah. And that's 
crazy. Like he's 22. He like nothing. Nothing has really gone badly for him. It just hasn't improved the way we thought. So like I don't know if he's soft. I think you. I think there's a lot to what you said in terms of environment, chemistry, all that stuff affecting how a young guy plays. But we don't grade things on a curve in the NBA, right? Like you don't get to you don't get to score twenty points, and then we go we look at it after and we go, oh, but you're twenty one years old, so you get to have thirty tonight. Like that's not how it works. Like eventually, Cat just has to get over it, and he's got to go out there and play defense and prove everybody wrong. I think he will, but until he does it, he's going to have that reputation. Is there any hope for Andrew Wiggins to turn into anything or improve his game at all? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, no, hangs of, up. Is it, is it a lot of hope? That's a great question, and that's a question I'd probably answer no to. But I do think, like when when Jimmy Butler said, like he's the most gifted player on the team. I believe him. Like Andrew Wiggins is a ridiculous athlete. He's got gigantic hands. Like I think I think his defense. Well, I'll say this: his defense on the ball is overly scrutinized. His defense off the ball, scrutinize that all you want because he falls asleep constantly. Like, he might be narcoleptic at this point. He we really is. We should diagnose him. But, um, That's but a problem. Of, like, on the ball defense, I actually think he does a pretty solid job most yeah. of the time. And offense, he puts himself in some bad situations. And what I – actually, what I – I don't even really care about, like, the inconsistent jumper on offense. What bothers me is that the first two years, he had his mail forwarded to the free throw line. Like, he lived there. That was his residence, was the free throw line. He was always there. Yep. And that just isn't the case anymore. And I don't know if that's because he's now a third option. I don't know if that's just him de- deciding he needs to shoot more jumpers, he needs to preserve his body by not attacking the basket so much. But he needs to get back to getting to the free throw line because that would change a lot of the way he has an impact on offense. If you ran this franchise starting tomorrow... And, turn it to the ground. Yes, exa- well, that's a very good point. <laughs> but let's say, but let's say you couldn't, uh, and without getting arrested for right, know, right, exactly. And so you're given this team, and and you, of course, immediately come in and fire Tibbs. What unemployed NBA and or college coach would you hire and see as a good fit to uh, to take these young struggling players who are seemingly lost with Tibbs and start to turn things around? You know what I do? I, first, I think you need leadership in the front office. So I, I would go after, I would go hard after Chauncey Billups. You know, he has yes. ties to, to Minnesota, and a lot of people think he is going to be a brilliant executive in this league. I would go get him and let him set the culture. And then I don't know that he's ready, but he is familiar with the team, and I think he has an extremely bright future. Like, I would look at Ryan Saunders. I really would. I, I think you need to surround him with an extremely strong, motivated, and, and kind of, you know, uh, very progressive assistant staff, but I think if you want to do this, I, you know you can. You don't have to hit the hard reset on this. You can you can stick with Pat. You can stick with Wiggins. You can kind of get some of these veterans out of there and try to get a different fit in with other veterans and, and maybe another young guy, young star or two. Um, but I would I would try to grow this properly. Now you you're going to get a ton of pressure because it's going to be hey we just made the playoffs why are we taking a step backward? But if you want to actually, I mean, this is the problem with the Wolves, and it's the problem with a lot of bad teams or inconsistent teams. There's no culture, right? Like, there's no culture within the organization. We know what Spurs culture is. We know what uh, what Lakers culture is most of the time when we're not trying to prop up Kobe Bryant in the final two years of his of his life, right, or of his basketball life. Like, we know what the Heat culture is. Like, we know what the Celtics culture is. The Wolves don't have a culture, and I think that's what you see in Milwaukee right now. They went and they empowered Mike Budenholzer to put an actual system, an actual culture around Giannis Antetokounmpo, and we're seeing good results so far. That's what the Wolves need to do. They need to, they need to establish a culture and quit just spinning the tires on all this stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I've heard very good things about Ryan Saunders, too, and maybe it's a year or two early, but I don't know, man. Yeah, Honestly, be... 
I love Chauncey, Zach. I I I said four years ago when Flip was going to be was when Flip decided to take the head coaching job himself. I, the first person I thought of if there was going to be like a coach in waiting was Chauncey Billups. Yeah, and he was I his name was floated there. I mean, Flip I think was trying to bring him on board, wasn't he, Zach? I, yeah, I, I don't think Chauncey was was quite ready at that point. I think he's I think he's ready now, and he's I mean, every time you ask people around the league, it's like, hey, who's the next executive? Everyone points to Chauncey. Yes. Zach Harper, find his stuff in written form. The Athletic MBA is uh, a good place to start. Theathletic.com slash MBA. And uh, what podcast? So Count the Dings. Where can people find you talking? Uh, search, search Count the Dings on Google Play, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, any, any platform that has a podcast, I'll be blabbing somewhere on there. Right on, man. All right. Thanks for coming Thank on, you. Zach. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate it, guys. Anytime. All right. Zach Harper at Talk Hoops, too, if you want to find him on Twitter. I'd burn it to the ground. <laughs> that was an appropriate response. As long as the cops aren't around. Uh, football Hour is on the horizon. Matthew Collar, Sage Rosen. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd are back. Okay, then. On 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check on your traffic. 169 northbound. We've got a crash in Edina between Highway 62 and 212. That's an extra 11 minutes in that area. And uh, also 394 eastbound in Minneapolis. We've got a crash between Dunwoody and 94. Factor in an extra five minutes there, gentlemen. Thank you, Manny. We'll get to Matthew Collar. Some questionable key Vikings to discuss before uh, before too long here. And Sage Rosenfels at 515. And if you missed any of Zach Harper, you can find that on demand. Hour two of the Mackie and Judd show anywhere you would find podcasts. But a lot of things there. A lot of So let's, let's go back to the question you asked him. If all of a sudden Chauncey Billups were running the front office and the and the culture and the environment. I love Chauncey. And it was Ryan Saunders as yep. the coach, which and Zach is Zach's not just throwing that stuff out, by the way. Zach is super plugged into the NBA. He talks to players, he talks to scouts, he talks to all kinds of plugged in reporters. Mm-hmm. So he wouldn't just be like, Oh, I watch Wolves games and see that Ryan Saunders is there and I'm you know Minnesota guy. Uh, I've heard some similar things about Ryan Saunders in terms of his future as a head coach and just how smart he is behind the scenes and how he does connect with some of those younger players. That's an interesting name, boys. And and yep. Chauncey, too, is because, look, if those guys took control tomorrow, there are obviously going to be growing pains and, at times, problems. But that being said, I'd much rather see this franchise with its current talent base that, that wants to be here and is going to be here going through growing pains than this. What is this? It's limbo. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. constant limbo. So, and, and I honestly think, that if you got those two in charge and they're as good as we think that they potentially might be, yeah, you'd have issues for a while. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we're talking about two years of that. Mm-hmm. I think we're talking about months of that, maybe maybe a month before things start to turn. In this league now, I think the most important thing that, that you can have is twofold. One is the talent. That's great. But two is... Call it whatever you want. Call it culture. Call it chemistry. Identity. What? Yeah. What you can pick any term, but if you have that identity and know who you are and know who the key pl- players are, and you don't have a guy coming to practice and dropping f bombs th- the entire time because that's his way of controlling things, I think your identity gets established quickly. And once it does that, I think this franchise could be absolutely fine. Yeah, it's not it's it's not sentenced to a to a problem that you go hire inexperienced people who learn quickly and are smart people 
and can get this thing turned around and you can start to win basketball games and most of all, not be miserable. Why doesn't Chauncey have a job right now? It's certainly not because teams haven't inquired, right? He Well, the Cavaliers, when David Griffin parted ways with the Cavaliers, he had been their GM for like seven or eight years. When he parted ways with them, the Cavs, remember, they approached Chauncey about, Chauncey was... They interviewed him and in, in everything, and then they I think they ended up like lowballing him on on money or whatever. And Chauncey said, "Well, bleep you guys! I'm going back to the booth. I'm going back to the yeah. to ESPN to be a broadcaster. Like I'm not gonna, you know, if, if you're gonna have me come in and and turn this thing around, then I mean you gotta you gotta pay up a little bit. You can't lowball me. And I think that's but he, people people like Chauncey. People have inquired about him, like." Look alive. But he strikes me as smart. Yes. That's what yes. I want. I want somebody who comes in and asks questions, not dictates. This is not 1978. So if you come in and you've got ideas, that's fantastic. And I think the important thing here, too, is Glenn Taylor, as as bad of owner as he might be, has desperately always been searching for and long has whiffed on finding the right people to give the keys to. So I don't think if you came in and worked for Glenn and and you know what you're doing and are the right guy, I don't think it's uh, oh my gosh I got to talk to Glenn again. I think I think it would be great, but the problem is he just has whiffed for so long on getting the right person. Yeah. And the tough thing is is he he, in fairness to him, like he I think seemingly had that with Flip, but mm-hmm. unfortunately, I mean we know we know how that ended up unfortunately for everybody and so now it's like now Glenn has to he has to try and find that again like you can't just go and get another you can't just look at this in a box like whoa we need to get better on defense so let's just go hire this defensive coach and oh well we're not gonna get him unless we give him personnel decisions too okay well you can have that now Tom there you go like you gotta you've gotta put you gotta figure out an identity you've gotta Discover what your culture or what your identity, whatever that's going to be. You have to figure what, figure out what that's going to be and get the right people in place that are all going to be on the same page. That's the, because that's the problem here, right? Yeah. And it's, people are not on the same page. And where Glenn Taylor actually has half a chance to stumble, let's say Chauncey Billups is, is the, is the guy that they should hire. Glenn Taylor has half a chance to stumble into him because he's a former Timberwolf and Flip Saunders sort of validated him in the search a few years ago. Because I, I figure if there's not a provincial connection or if a search firm doesn't lead you to somebody or if it's not David Stern elbowing you, I mean, on it, or am I wrong? They they hired a search firm to find Tom Thibodeau, right? Yes. Right? Yes. A search firm same, to find Tom same Thibodeau? Same one that the Twins used. That is exactly right. At the time of that hiring, Tom Thibodeau was the most noteworthy, unemployed yeah. basketball coach in the world, probably. I mean, next to like Larry Brown, Right. Or Don Nelson, but, the pro- but, but those guys aren't looking for jobs. But the problem is, let's say let's say that that everybody was on the same page, it wouldn't matter because it's the wrong page. They've got the wrong people. <laughs> They've just got the wrong people. Tibbs doesn't. Tibbs at one point in time probably worked fine. It just doesn't work. You can't. There is no way if Tibbs sang "Kumbaya" with Cat and Wiggins tomorrow, it wouldn't fix the problem which is he has no clue how to get the most from any of his top players other than Butler, and that's just messed up. Yeah, you also have this other layer to the Andrew Wiggins conversation. It, it's possible that the absolute right guy might not be able to squeeze 
perennial all-star caliber play out of Wiggins. So it's it's complicated. It's not just plug the right guy in and all of a sudden watch the flowers start to blossom from the garden you know, of Timberwolves practice. It might be that the right guy comes in and the only two dudes who are going to be left in three years anyways are Josh Akogi and Carl Anthony Towns and maybe Tyus Jones. And so they have to go through this process. And I don't know. It's I, I just look at, you know, and Zach brought it up. Look at the Milwaukee Bucks. You've got this all-world, literally freakish player like Giannis. Yeah. And you've got these other, like, really good pieces surrounding him. You've got Brogdon and Middleton and, you know, Thon Maker and guys like that. And then, you know, Bloodsoe. And then... Okay, last year you've got Jason Kidd is your coach, and they're you're looking at this and you're saying, "Hey, we got we got some good pieces here, but this is not good enough. This can be better." They fired Jason Kidd. They still made the playoffs, and then they went and they got Mike Budenholzer, who came from the Greg Popovich tree, who took the Atlanta Hawks as you know a team that didn't have a lot of all stars, not a lot of superstar power players and he made them a one seed in the Eastern Conference and they yeah. went to the conference finals. He made Jeff Teague an all star. Yeah. Did you bring up the Kings in that? I have, I mean the Kings are six and three right now. Yeah. And they've With got Dave Yeager, correct. my guy, yep. coaching them. They've got Nemanja Bielitsa playing at a career high level. And I don't know if you saw the game that uh what's his name from was it the Kentucky uh DeAndre uh De'Aaron Fox had a triple double with like fifteen assists and thirty points last mm-hmm. night. Crazy performances. It's just you gotta you gotta unlock these young players. You can't force square pegs into round holes to use a really dumb played out analogy. Play hard for forty eight minutes. Yeah, uh, let's come back and switch gears to the football hour. Matthew Collar can give us an update from the Vikings practice facility. Couple on the fence players for this weekend, and this is a game that you're going into a bye week, and it's a division game. You just got beat last week, so. Pretty close to a must win. We'll talk to Kyler about it and also get Sage Rosenfels in for his weekly visit.